Good afternoon. Thank you once again for joining me. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll be having a look at our Harvard Business Review tips. And we're also talking with Christina Sikiotis about the innovation statement that's been recently put out by the government. But right now, we're going to have a chat with Stephen Markey from Markey Insurance. Good afternoon, Steve. Afternoon, Julian. How are you today? Uh, very good, thank you. Well, uh, as, as you're aware, we, uh, we've, we've got many options available to us now with uh, buying insurance, uh, both home, motor vehicles, well, all sorts of insurance, really. And uh, yep. we're constantly seeing TV ads on, on those very many choices. Um, so why do we as a public need to consider using an insurance broker as opposed to dealing directly with the insurance or whoever else might be offering these insurance these days? Yeah, good question, Julian, and thanks. And um, just before we move on, I, I wanted to thank, um, I wanted to let everyone know this would be my last session um, on the program. That's why we put one last kiss on. Yeah, yeah, very appropriate. <laughs> thank you for that. <laughs> and um, next year we'll let someone else enlighten the listeners. Um, so I just wanted to thank you for allowing our firm to participate. That's our, um, our pleasure. So the subject we talk about today is obviously something I'm very passionate about, um, being an insurance broker. So I thought it, I'd finish the segments off with a very passionate subject. So time and time again we see the outcomes of poor insurance programs or policies that people have and the, the fallout of the big insurance company taking advantage of the, the general ignorance of the, the consumer. So um, thought we'd have a chat about this. And we certainly see that at the times of crisis when we've had the bushfires and the floods and so forth. So how could an insurance broker help us to avoid these situations? Uh, in many ways, there's, there's one really very clear message that, I, that everyone needs to understand when it comes to an insurance broker, um, other than being a dirty word at times, but, but we, we work, this is an important message, we work for the customer, not the insurance company. We are not an insurance company. So we challenge insurers every day of the week on behalf of our, um, on behalf of our customers. So just like a lawyer would defend you in a court, and just like an accountant when dealing with the ATO, like we aim for the best um, outcome for the customer. So, Julian, um, what do you think the direct insurance companies aim for? You know, these are the companies that are not, you know, they could be a direct insurer or they might be an aggregator of some sort. Well, well I mean, obviously they're in business, so therefore they're, they're there to make money, so minimising their costs and paying as little as possible when it comes to a claim. Yeah, that's a pretty harsh reality, but you're, you're pretty well spot on. Um, so uh, insurance, it's, it's a complicated area and it's best to have a real expert help you through it, especially when large losses occur. So it's a big challenge for us to try and educate our customers, but people don't want to hear that boring stuff. So if we just talk about the insurance everyone needs to think about, um, like insuring their house, for example. So Julian, um, I'm asking you a few questions today. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. How, how many options do you think you've got out there to buy insurance for your house? Well, probably unlimited. Um, there's obviously the, the, the major insurance companies and then uh, we see, as we said earlier, many TV ads for all sorts of insurance that's going to save us money. Yeah, well, that's right. There's, there's, there's literally more than you can count on your fingers and toes. So, so how are you going to decide which one you're going to choose? 
Well, I'm not sure. I suppose these days uh, price always comes into people's minds. Although, uh, um, as you've already outlined, uh, you don't always you 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 really get what you pay for. So, uh, are you going to get it when when the time comes? Yeah, yeah. So you might you might base it on price, or you know, someone's told you about another company they've saved money with. So, um, and that's about the norm. So you go online and get some quotes from different places, or you ring the one three hundred numbers and wait. Wait, wait, get your price, see which one's the cheapest and maybe take that one. And quite possibly the smarter consumer might do a little, um, a limited comparison of cover um, if it's not too complicated as well. So it's really, I don't know, way to see a lot of people buying on price. And of course a lot of people don't read those five prints on their policies. So I'm presuming that's the sort of thing that a broker would help me with. Yeah, well that's right. So... I mean, to begin with, from our from a broker's position, they usually only offer the higher end products for house insurance, um, and we do this as as have seen what happens when we sell the um, the cheap ones, or to be more polite, the more basic covers you can get. You know, and people get upset and hurt. This is, mm. It's very traumatic. So, the high end products are are more expensive, can be more expensive, but not as much as you might think, and. Um, and they cover a lot more circumstances and have less exclusions. So remember that less exclusions bit? Mm. Um, they also have higher automatic limits for things such as jewellery and sporting goods and cover outside the home. So, you know, these exclusions and limits are the things that really hurt when it comes to, comes to a claim. And this is particularly important not only in householders but also in the business arena. Yeah. So, anyway, brokers would broker will go out and get options from the various insurers on behalf of the customer and come back with a recommendation. So they will do the, the quoting around for you, if you like, but only on their higher-end product. So you mentioned that the sort of products that brokers would sell might be a little bit more expensive than what's offered by these direct players, but there's a bit of a alarm bell for the general consumer, isn't it? Yeah, well, it is, and particularly um, in the economic environment we're at the moment but you know um they're not always more expensive not always so and i but i'd be a fool to say we will always be cheaper because we're not you know we aim to mm. offer the best for the customer's needs you know like that's where we are um julian the, the cheap products only bite when it comes to claim time and not everybody has a claim <laughs> uh and this is a message to the customer if you're thinking like would you rather pay 250 dollars or 300 dollars more annually, so you've got a better chance of giving you $50,000, $100,000 claim paid when you need it. So maybe it's not covered under the cheaper policy, but it would be under the better ones. Mm. Um, for those who are interested in statistics, for example, and this is a really good point to make, uh, helps clarify where our position is, is as, as brokers. Um, insurers know that the claims costs for policies written through brokers, right, is around 25 to 30% higher than it is through their direct books. Okay? Mm-hmm. So the insurers that do both, they look at both, they look at the broker policies and the claim payments on average are higher. So, and this drives them crazy. <laughs> mm. So why do you think that is, Julian? Well, obviously they're running a business. They want to keep their costs down and, and not pay up more than they have to. Well, they do in a direct size, but, but what drives them crazy is... Um, the broker policies often cover more, okay. and critically, 
We brokers know that games insurers play when trying to wriggle out of a claim. Two really important points. They cover more, we know the games. So brokers do claims every day for, for their clients and know how to present a case to an insurer, which will give you the best chance of maximising your claim payment. I'm sure the insurers don't want to hear me saying this, but it's, it's reality. So if the insurer says no to a claim, we say why? Fight the case and hopefully turn it into a yes, or at least a partial yes. Uh, the customer doesn't have to fight directly with the insurer. It's as simple as that. So, Steve, any final comments? I have lots of final comments, <laughs> but, you know, when you, I can't leave without saying when you're buying your insurance, get some help, you know. It's a, yeah. it, hundreds of different options out there. You've got all sorts of things, red things and Martians and all sorts of things like flying around out there you can buy your insurance from. Um, but the, the direct insurers or the aggregators, they only sell their product. That's all they sell, that's all they know. They don't even know if they're offering you what you can get out there. So brokers deal with hundreds of insurers, so we can have a look at different different options, you know. Mm. Um, just on a side point, um, while I'm raving on, is everybody in this office, or everybody, say, for example, um, would have had a, a, had a situation where they've got a friend or an ex-client that's insured with a direct, in, a direct insurer, and I've had a number of them, um, and they have to have a claim. But before they submit their claim, they want to ring up a broker and ask, how's the best way to do it? Mm. You know, like, what's the point? Why not insure it through the broker where they know how to submit it? You know, a good broker will still help you out, but it's sort of a bit frustrating from our point of view. Mm. Mm. Um, So have a think about it. Do you really want to buy your insurance from a business um, specialising in groceries or hardware or... You know, do you want someone who knows what they're doing to help you get the best protection for you and get in and go into battle with the insurer when times are tough? I mean, just a smart oops, a smart comment is, you know, do you want do you want the checkout chick to help you with your claim or do you want someone who does it every day? Yeah. Yeah, so. Anyway, thanks, Julian. That's my rave for the day. Sorry about that slip up there. And um, I hope you have a great Christmas and thanks again for letting us be part of the program. Well, thank you for being our sponsor for the last uh, almost a year now and thank you very much for uh, enlightening our listeners in so many ways. And you have a great Christmas and we'll have a chat with you sometime again in the new year. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Steve Markey there from Markey Insurance, as he said, having a bit of a rave, but uh, it is important. It's uh, what we don't know. And when we take out insurance, we're hoping that one day we'll never need it. But if we do need it... That's when the challenges come. Time to have our chat with Christina Sigurdis. Good afternoon, Christina. Good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm good. I bet you were dancing to that one. <laughs> oh, look, the, um, I, I thought the, this week we might have a chat about the, um, the Turnbull announcement, the innovation, yeah. um, Prime Minister, uh, the announcement, which has largely been greeted um, with open arms and welcoming arms, obviously. It's just wonderful. Uh, that there has been some movement in this space. There's a lot of people cheering finally um, that, that Australia has recognised the importance of innovation. Um, so I thought I'd just do a bit of a rundown on the, on the fantastic things that are going on and then potentially some of the... I mean, there are areas that, um, that we have identified as potential gaps in the market, but on the whole, like, not letting that take away from the, the fantastic things that are going to happen. Yeah, OK. Um, so uh, it's really good for early start stage companies, fantastic for getting international um, talent to come to Australia. There's a bit of a concern that there's not not enough there for the later stage funding or keeping talent in Australia. 
so the, all the, the information about the visa and, and people coming in, wonderful. Um, there's lots of support for institutes like the CSIRO, which thankfully has had all that money returned. Like this, there's a bucket of money for the CSIRO um, and the universities. Not sure if there's enough there for entrepreneurs as such. So if you're in as part of an organisation, yep, great, there's the money coming in. Entrepreneurs, not so sure. There appears to be a bit of a gap um, for companies that have been around for over three years and that are earning, um, you know, up to that $200,000 mark. But who need dollars desperately to get to that next level, to get to that overseas level? And, mm. you know, entrepreneurs like Jennifer Holland particularly come to mind with throat scope there. Um, it's really fashionable now to be a to be a, um, a startup, and it's it's one of those you know um, it, it's been a long way happening, but all of a sudden it's happened overnight. So there's lots of accelerated programs, things like that happening. Um, the risk reduction, the, the way they've addressed the risk reduction is fantastic. Uh, just a bit of concern about those people that have already taken the risk because some of these things aren't coming in till you know mid next year. Yeah. Um, bit of a, I'm a little bit worried that people are going to put things on hold. Until the these, money comes these in. New, yeah, and that, that's a bit of a concern because you really can't afford to stop. There appears to be a funding gap at the around the $5 million. You know, those people that need that $2 million to $5 million injection. Um, and at that point, that's where the companies are still looking to go overseas um, or list on the stock exchange. Uh, there's a few people around saying that there hasn't been enough done for women in tech, um, that the $13 million allocated... Um, isn't isn't fantastic, but for me, there's 13 million dollars more than was available um, yesterday, and that's a that's a fantastic thing. Yeah, but there seems to be a bit of an entrepreneur institution thing happening, uh, and we know that it's the entrepreneurs that take the risks. The un- the institutions at this point of time are still getting stuck in a bit of the bureaucracy, and if I look around at, at the entrepreneurs that are really doing things, there's not many of them in the STEM field. So. They employ engineers, but the ones with the with the great ideas, they tend to not be the the scientific minds, the mathematic minds. Mm. Um, so for me, I'd really like to see a lot more stuff happening um, in the creativity and entrepreneurship space. I think the STEM stuff is fantastic. Um, the encouragement for people to get into that space is wonderful because a lot of the problems are solved in that space. But I, I would personally like to see more happening in the schools around entrepreneurship and creativity. Um, how much more time have we got? I've got lots of things uh, I can talk we about. We could talk next week. Oh, how we about can we fin- talk next Cause, week. Because uh, we next week's our last week's show of the year and uh, yep. we can have a final wrap-up of that uh, next week. That would be fantastic. And just to say that all that the majority, the majority feel is fantastic something's happening, not to take away from any of that. All right. Fantastic. Well, we'll you have a great week and we'll have our last show of the year next week. Okay, look forward to it, sort of. Look Thank forward you. to speaking with you next week, maybe not so much if it's the last show. Thank you very much. Okay, have Bye. a good week. Bye. Christina Sikiat is there with a quick of a wrap-up on the uh, innovation statement from the uh, government. And it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. Time for one of our Harvard Business Review tips. This one says, an interesting one, don't let your default reactions get the best of you. We all have our default behaviours. And the way we handle these automatic reflexes during meetings, conversations, negotiations, conflicts, etc. can be the difference between success and failure. Say you butt heads with a co-worker over a project next steps. If you jump to defend your position, you might fail to hear the other person's side, ending up in an erratic emotional dispute. How do you override automatic reactions like these? Well, first, know what triggers your emotions or competitive side. 
Then make a list of your default behaviours like interruptions, becoming aggressive or passive, taking ownership of ideas, micromanaging or judging too quickly. Then anticipate them. If careful listening is your goal, but frequent interruption is your default, rehearse a plan for better listening before your high-conflict meeting. And don't schedule these conversations for times when your self-control is low, such as right before lunch or the end of a day. So some interesting points because we do all have that default reactions, don't we? Well, thank you very much for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. We've looked at the real role of the insurance broker and how it might be able to help you in a time when the claims are needed and that's when you need that insurance. A quick comment on the innovation statement from the government. And in a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we'll have our Minute on Innovation with Christina Sikiotis and some other legal and business news that might affect your business and, of course, a little bit of Christmas cheer. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Leo Tolstoy once said, everyone thinks of changing the world, but no one thinks of changing himself.